Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than deny myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 19 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Brian Grin. Brian is from Chicago, where he works as a health coach and a trainer. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks for having me, Jen. Well, um, I'm super excited to have you here from the perspective of someone who works in the field of nutrition and training. And I would like to hear how you got into intermittent fasting from the approach of a health coach and trainer. Yeah. So I got into it about three years ago. And actually, I was introduced to it by a client of mine who actually I was training. We never touched too much on the health part as far as eating. and she, um, But she was pre-diabetic and she just started telling me about how she was getting into intermittent fasting and actually doing some prolonged fasts as well because she needed to get her blood levels back to normal and, and it was working. And I was just really intrigued with it after that. 
And so, yeah, I just decided to sort of dive in myself and learn about it, research it. I love that because we hear from a lot of people who start with intermittent fasting and then they take it to their trainer and their trainer says, oh, no, you must eat, you know, six times a day, pre-workout, after your workout, you know, eat, eat, eat. And so you didn't feel that way. You, you listened to her and then you started researching. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was working with some clients through their difficulties in eating and stuff. And I actually was a bit of the, I guess now somewhat of the old school of, yeah, you know, you should be snacking and, you know, eating low glycemic index foods, which is still important, but I never really knew much about the whole fasting. And yeah, so yeah, I just started researching it and then doing it myself a little bit, diving in and, and uh, learned about like, I, you know, obviously with your book and Dr. Jason Fung was a huge influence on a lot of the things that I've learned as well. Yeah, he's a great resource. And reading the obesity code really changed a lot of things for me and really refined what I'm doing to the point that it became so much easier and more effective. So that's a great place to to learn about it. So what changed for you when you began experimenting with intermittent fasting? Yeah. So biggest thing for me was, I mean, I've always been in like decent shape, fairly healthy. I ate pretty well. I, you know, a pretty clean eater all in all, but I did notice like, I'm not, I mean, I'm in my late thirties now, but you know, like as I got like into my thirties, like doing the same things that I did in my, I guess in my twenties, like wasn't working as well. Like my abs weren't showing as well. And things like this. So for me, yeah, I mean, it definitely like sort of up the way I, I feel and look. I mean, a big thing for me was mental acuity. Like I just felt more sharp during the day when I was in a fasted state. And also my workouts felt like I just had more energy. So big thing was the mental part. I also wasn't doing it really for the weight loss part. I did lose some weight and an inch or two and my abs were showing better. And it just sort of took me to to it, like back where I was <laughs> in my 20s. So, right. So, you just feel like you've discovered the, the fountain of youth, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. Would you speak to the whole idea that still worries people? You know, even when they read about the science and they, they know that intermittent fasting is healthy and that it's great for fat loss, there are people who still worry about muscle loss with fasting. And they think that, you know, because they may have heard it, they they may have a trainer who says it to them, oh, you're going to lose all your muscle. Would you speak to that from the perspective of, of a personal trainer? Yeah. Well, for one, your body doesn't use muscle as energy. You know, it's going to use glucose, you know, sugar, and then get into your fat stores. The only time it'll, you know, it'll use your muscle as energy is like if you're like below, I believe, like 4% body fat percentage. So, which it is not happening for me and a lot of people. So, but yeah, I mean, just from my viewpoint, like my strength stayed this, I would say stayed the same. I lost some weight and, and obviously anytime you lose some weight, you might not necessarily put up as much like weight in the gym, but I think it's a good trade-off to lose a little bit of body fat and look more cut. Even if you like necessarily can't lift as much, Obviously, if I want to lift more weight, I just, you know, you, I got to put on weight. <laughs> right. So I, I think it's like a trade off. But as you get older, like I'm not looking, at least personally, like I'm not looking to put up tons of weight anymore. Like, you know, maybe when you're in like your early 20s <laughs> or something, <laughs> mid 20s, like I, I remember putting up some decent weight and like squatting a lot. And But I'm like, at least for me, you get past that stage and you just want to like feel good, look good. I don't, I'm not like doing competitions and things like that. So yeah, I mean. 
Yeah, you haven't lost your muscle and wasted away. No. <laughs> the opposite effect. So do you get your um, body composition analyzed? Are you somebody who does that? You know, it's funny you say that because I haven't. I mean, I, I sort of, it's just like the eye test, I can tell. But right. I would like to do that. And there is a gym in, in the city. I'm in Chicago that, I mean, there's a few places where you can get it done like, I think the best way to do it is underwater in like a pod. Right. I think so too. Those are better. You know, the scales that people get on that, right. that claim to measure that are just so not accurate. Yeah. No, I, I, if I was going to do it, I would do something like that. And it would be, I, I almost wish I did it right before I started doing the whole fasting just to see how my body composition changed. But I can tell just from the eye test and things right. like that. I'm the same way. I wish I had done it. I wish I had could go back in time and talk to myself <laughs> if I had all the this data I would like to know. But I didn't know that <laughs> I would like to know. Right. But yeah, yes. I would do the same thing. <laughs> Absolutely. So I love what you said a minute ago that the body doesn't use muscle as energy because that's the thing that, you know, we're so worried about from people that, you know, if you don't take a pre-workout and a post-workout, then your body is not going to be able to build muscle. Would you talk about pre-workouts and post-workouts a little bit? Because, you know, this is a new product that is really gained traction, even more so recently, like, you know, several years ago when I first started working with intermittent fasters on the Facebook support groups, nobody talked about pre-workouts because I don't know if they'd even been invented at that. I don't know when they started popping on the scene, but now we hear it all the time. And people think that they have to have something before they work out, something after they work out. Talk to us about that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I've never gotten into pre-workouts. I used to do some post-workout shakes and things like that. And sometimes I'll do that. I just enjoy doing that. I'll break, I'll actually break my fast with that, but I tend to work out in the morning. I enjoy that. And I work out in a fasted state. If anything, I take maybe just do a little bit of caffeine before the workout, but I, I try not to have any calories because technically, obviously, that will break the fast. Right. So I would say to people who are like, I get this question a, a lot is like, you know, can I work out in a fasted state? I actually encourage that. I enjoy doing that. And then usually I'll break, I'll break my fast after the workout sometimes, you know, just to break. But as far as pre, I mean, there's a ton of stuff out there. But I think a simple pre, pre-workout pre could be just like some green tea right, or like a black coffee. And then, I mean, I'm pretty sensitive to caffeine, so I don't need a lot. <laughs> and I'll just go, yeah. I've actually read a lot about, about caffeine and, and how it affects us with our bodies and also, you know, getting into the fasted state. But would you explain that a little bit for our listeners from the perspective of what you just said, using caffeine as a pre-workout? I mean, I just, I think the main thing, it just get, gets you in that heightened state and right. sort of helps, you know, if you're used to a pre-workout and you, and you want to get into fasting, but you don't want to like necessarily take something that breaks your fast, I think it's just a good way to go. Just like mental alertness. And I mean, there's other things out there like garwana and there's other ways to do it as well. But I think tea or coffee are just a great way to start. I think so too. It really gave me an aha moment when I read about how it actually gets us into the fasted state more quickly by helping oh. clear out our liver glycogen. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I read that and I'm like, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. You know, the coffee, the caffeine work together to, to clear out our liver glycogen. And once that happens, that would explain, you know, why we're, we're into the fasted state more quickly. And also, in addition to clearing out the liver glycogen, getting us into the fasted state more quickly, it explains the blood glucose spike that some people see when they drink coffee. And that, that alarms some people. 
they're like, wait a minute, all I had was black coffee and my blood glucose spiked, you know, when they're measuring. And it makes sense if it's coming, it's not coming from the coffee itself, obviously. Coffee does not provide glucose. It's coming from somewhere in your body. And when you understand that's your liver clearing out that glycogen, it suddenly all makes more sense. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That really connected a lot of dots. You know, once you start digging into this and understanding how it works, you know, I don't have a physiology background, but I'm, I'm a teacher or I was a teacher. And so I'm good at connecting things and, and connecting dots. So yeah. it all just makes sense. And that's why coffee is such a good choice for a pre-workout or for us in the fasted state. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I think that like, I think people are scared sometimes. Like I used to always have something before I used to work out like a banana or like something just thinking like I couldn't survive a workout. <laughs> in, right. And I actually think it helped with, because like just from my example, like I, I got into fasting and what I did is I eased into it in the sense that I didn't just like go till like I do 16-8, which is 16 hours of fasting, eight hours of eating window. But I, I take advantage of my overnight sleep, obviously. And then I just gradually push back breakfast an hour until I felt like until I got to noon. And so I ease my way into it. And that's what I teach a lot of the, my clients is, you know, you don't have to do like a cold turkey. If you're so used to eating breakfast, you can just push back breakfast an hour per se every day. And until, you know, you feel more comfortable doing it. I think that's really smart advice because some people really want to just jump right in. You know, people will read Delay, Don't Deny, where I talk about my sweet spot is, you know, an evening window and I may have an average of a two to five hour window. And they're like, all right, I'm going to start there. <laughs> you know, Right, right. <laughs> I didn't start there. It took me, you know, I had to work up to it too. So how do you, you know, do you, do you encourage them to start with an eight hour window? What What's the goal that you shoot for with your clients? Or do you have one specific goal? Is it something that you let them choose what works best for them? Yeah, I think I think in the beginning, what I'll do is we'll work them into the 16-8 fast and with the eight-hour eating window. And you know, we'll sort of reevaluate after a month and see how they're feeling. And you can always adjust the window. But I think the biggest key and to make it just like a lifestyle change is, is just to find that window that works well for you. I know there's research out there regarding like circadian rhythms and eating when it's light out and then be and stop eating when it gets dark. But some people really value that night, that, that dinner with their families or friends or whatever. To, and so they rather just keep that dinner and have like a lunch and dinner and then start fasting, let's say at eight o'clock till like I go pretty much from like eight to noon is my window of fast. That's very similar to what my husband does. He's always been lean, never needed to lose any weight other than just a tiny little bit of, you know, <laughs> after a vacation or something. But right. he started IF just for the the health benefits. And he, he eats lunch and he eats dinner and he doesn't snack after dinner anymore. Right. He used to always have an almond butter and jelly sandwich, you know, right before bed. He thought he needed to eat right before bed or he would have ice cream right before bed. Right. And he cut that out and is leaner than he's ever been. But you know, he's 48 now, and so he's, he looks younger than he did to me 10 years ago. Wow. I like what you said about helping everyone find the window that works best for them. And you're right. We hear a lot about circadian rhythms these days in the fasting community and the idea, the theory, that there may be health benefits to having an early window versus a late window or keeping it in daylight hours. Mm -hmm. One of the studies that is often cited in articles that refer to circadian rhythm, they really didn't compare apples to apples, 
Like they compared people who ate in the morning to people who like ate all day or something. I can't remember exactly, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't like they directly compared a morning eating window to a middle of the day eating window to an evening eating window with all other things being consistent. Mm -hmm. That's the research I would really like to see. Yeah. I mean, the, the one thing that I've heard about eating when it's light out and then stop your eating when it gets dark is the fact that you're that you you might get a little bit more of an insulin spike in the evening as opposed to in the morning or midday. I've seen some research on that, but you know. Oh, I'm. I mean, I have something here. Let me try to dig this up. I've got this is something that I'm talking about on the intermittent fasting podcast for it's a listener question. But I actually saw a study that was very interesting recently where they were comparing different groups who had a similar calorie intake, but they had a, a group. One of the experimental groups ate carbs mostly at dinner versus people who ate carbs all day long. And they actually found that they had enhanced leptin when they had the carbs at night, which led to better leptin and less hunger during the day the next day, which I thought was fascinating because, you know, carbs are so often demonized these days. But yeah, they actually had great results when they had their carbs at night compared to the control group that ate their carbs all day long. Okay. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) (laughs) I thought that sounded like something you would like. Yeah, yeah. You know, the good thing is, and I think you talk about in your blog and stuff, it's becoming more mainstream and there's more and more studies that are being done on humans regarding fasting. But, you know, I think we're just touching, you know, we're just in the beginning stages of more and more, you know, studies being done. I think so too. And we've got to be so careful was we analyze studies to really make sure we understand what they did. Like, for example, one just was reported recently, and it compared people who were, I think I, I'm trying to just off the top of my head, remember, they had a similar calorie intake, and they, they did it for eight weeks. And the people who did intermittent fasting, I believe, lost slightly more fat than the people who had not. But the article reported that they did not have significant other health benefits mm-hmm. when they compared the two groups. The intermittent fasting group didn't turn out, you know, to have like so many more health benefits. Mm-hmm. And when we read that, we're like, oh, well, gosh, fasting's supposed to be so good for us. So why didn't it show that? But then we have to look at the fact that they only did this for eight weeks. Right. And I know for, for a lot of us, if we've been following a, you know, standard American diet or, or whatever, it can take a long time mm-hmm. for us to see the cumulative health benefits. You know, for myself, I noticed that my seasonal allergies went away and allergies are very directly tied to inflammation levels in the body, but they didn't go away after eight weeks. You know, it took right. probably a couple years of, of intermittent fasting before my inflammation was low enough. So if I had only given it eight weeks, I would be like, well, it didn't didn't make me any healthier. Right. So we have to really dig into all these studies and all the articles and, you know, some of the sensational headlines that the news puts out there. Intermittent fasting, no better for health, is, is what they might say, for example. You're not going to see intermittent fasting being promoted by most people or most companies, big food. I've said this no one makes money when you're fasting. <laughs> when you're, it's true. So like anything mainstream that has that, you know, wants to make money, big food or, you know, they're not going to promote this. And you're going to and we're going to see we're still going to see studies that are going to demonize intermittent fasting. But, you know, people will send me stuff and I'll just say, well, who funded the study? And that's another right. thing to look at is who funded that study? Because obviously, I don't you know, nowadays, you know, we have a Starbucks or something on every corner and and these these companies don't want us <laughs> fasting. They don't. No. Yeah. They do not because that they they want us to be eating six times a day with snacks in between. Exactly. 
But yeah, it's really important to always go, you know, when you see an article that talks about intermittent fasting, even if it's, you know, talking about it in a positive way, I like to go straight to the study and see, you know, I taught elementary school for 28 years. My master's degree is in science for teachers. It's called natural sciences, but it was basically science for teachers. Mm -hmm. And when we learn about the experimental method and conducting, you know, science experiments, like let's say a kid's going to do the science fair, we learn that you have to keep everything the same except for the one thing that you're changing. Right. And so many of the studies that are out there, you read them and you're like, they didn't keep everything the same except for the one thing that they're, they're testing. Th- these groups are all so different. Of course, it's really hard to do that with humans. Right, right. You know, it's easy to do it with, <laughs> with inanimate objects, but it's hard to keep humans the same because we're not the same. Right. So we just have to always keep that in mind. We want to look for large sample sizes in these groups. We want to look for a long period of time, not just, you know, a month. No, I was just going to say, well, I think that the best study is like for yourself, right? Like, how do you feel? Like, how does it fit into your lifestyle? Because I think like the biggest thing that I like with intermittent fasting is just the simplicity of it. I've done some challenges with people where we just cut off eating at eight o'clock just to start, like start with that and just keep it simple. And I think that like, that's the thing that we're so caught up in, like every day there's a new study or there's a new food to eat. But that's the one thing that I always go back to with intermittent fasting is it's just like the simplicity and the flexibility of doing it. I love that. I love what you said, that the best study is yourself and how you feel. Exactly. Do you ever have people who try to do too much with the fasting and you have to get them to kind of back off a little bit? I haven't run into that yet. But I will say just from my personal experience that it being already in decent shape, when I first started doing it, like I got like almost too skinny. Right. So I had to like keep an eye on that. Now I'm in like a good rhythm and everything, but there's an adjustment period. And so, but I haven't had anyone go overboard as far as the fasting. You know, I sort of like to start slow with people and build up and, you know, like something that the woman that introduced me to fasting, I mean, she did multiple day fast. I mean, she's done a week, you know, she's done week or two week fasts. And I'm not saying that's not for everybody, but, uh, you know, she was pre-diabetic and, and she wanted to do a longer fast. But now to her, she doesn't do it all the time, maybe, maybe a couple of times a year, but it's second nature. It's not, it's actually not that difficult for her to do. So when she was doing the longer fast, was she working with a physician who had her do that? Or was it just something she figured out on her own? Yeah, I believe she worked with like a holistic physician. Perfect. Yeah, had her, had her blood levels met, you know, had all that stuff taken. I like to always emphasize that I don't think that, you know, long extended fasting is really a DIY kind of thing. You just have to be careful, especially if you have health conditions. Sure. It can be very, very healing, especially you said this client had insulin resistance, all sorts of issues, but she did it under the guidelines of a, you said a naturopath? Yeah. Holistic physician? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's important. So you're still working with her now three years later? Well, we're good friends. She's actually a big fan of you, Jen. Oh, that makes me happy. Yeah, I actually think she'd be great on this podcast. So maybe that'll be another episode. I would love to have her on this podcast. Have her reach out to me. Absolutely. Is she in my Facebook groups? I believe so. Yes. Okay. Well, yeah, I would love, love to have her on there and hear her perspective. That's awesome. Yeah. Does she do like a daily eating window now most of the time? Yes, I believe her daily window, I think she does 24. All right. So about a four-hour eating window. That seems to be about 10 to gravitate towards anywhere from two to six. But it often, I, I don't really track it or count it anymore, but I'll look up and say, hmm, wonder how long it was. And sure enough, <laughs> it was right in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, I do that sometimes as well just to mix it up. And I, 
I think that that's also just like another good thing is like with the fasting is like sometimes it's fun to like mix it up and just see how you feel, you know, during different windows and not almost like a challenge, but sometimes it's sort of fun just to see the longest I've done is just like probably like 30 hours, you know, like a yeah. give or take. But, you know, that's the nice thing is you could sort of work it around your lifestyle. And another big positive for fasting is just understanding what hunger is. And like, I think when you're eating six, seven times a day, you don't, you're not in touch with your body as much. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium, and specifically, Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency. And, in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories promo code IFSTORIES10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash IFSTORIES, promo code IFSTORIES10. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. Talk about that a little bit then, you know, true hunger and and what is hunger? What do you tell your clients about that? Because that's an excellent point. People who are scared to try fasting think, I I get so hungry, I can't do it. You know, maybe you can do it, but I can't do it. So explain that a little bit, a little deeper. Yeah. Well, like Dr. Jason Fung would would explain is like hunger comes in waves and and you just got to ride those waves out. And that's pretty much just, it's almost like somewhat playing tricks on you. It's not true hunger. And a lot of times you might get hunger pains and it, it could be just the fact that you you might be a little dehydrated. So sometimes I always tell my clients, you know, have some, obviously some water, maybe put some pink Himalayan salt in there and that'll help with the hunger cravings. But yeah, I mean, I think the more you do it, the more you get into intermittent fasting, you just understand that like your body's like an unbelievable tool and you can go periods of time without food and you'll you'll be alive. <laughs> you know, you're like, You'll survive. Like, it's not like, yeah. So, like, it's funny people because they're like, oh, like, you'll, you'll meet someone for dinner, like, oh, I'm starving. And I think to myself, well, you're not really starving. You know, like, <laughs> it's true. You know, right <laughs> in the back of your mind, you're like, nah, you, you know, you just ate two hours ago. I think you're, you'll be all right. Yeah. I think about when I was traveling with my family, and this is before my husband was doing it, or, you know, I have 
I have sons, one's 19, one's 20 right now at this point. But when we were going somewhere as a family and I was doing intermittent fasting, we like were going on vacation and they're like, when are we going to stop to eat? When are we going to stop to eat again? It's like, oh my gosh, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. You know, when your body is used to running on, you know, glucose from food that you're eating frequently, they do experience a different kind of hunger than an experienced faster. But it was just, just so f- striking in the, the contrast. Yes. If you get into intermittent fasting and you're doing it for a few years, because it takes time to get used to it, and you look back and you're like, God, you know, like I wasn't, you know, like when you used to eat like every other hour, you're like, God, I really, you know, I was really overdoing it. I really didn't need to. Yeah, it's true. I remember when we used to go on family trips, like when I would go with just the boys, if we were going to visit a friend who lived in another state when they were little and we would travel, it was like a tradition. We would just stop at gas stations and convenience stores. And I'd be like, all right, get whatever you want. And we would eat like chips and have a Coke. And like, that was what we did. They would get bags of candy. And it was just like, we called it eating crap from the gas station. And it was a tradition. It was like fun because we're traveling. (laughs) I would need, you know, after fueling up on chips and a Coke, couple hours later, I'd have to stop again. Right. And, and now traveling in the fasted state is just so easy. I drove all the way back from Miami to Georgia, which is like, I don't know, 10 hours. We got off of a cruise ship and I drove all the way home in the fasted state. Didn't eat till I got home. And it just, I was like, I can't even imagine eating every couple hours on the road now. Yeah. And it's a good point that you make as far as like what you're eating is not quote unquote like clean eating or like you're eating a lot of processed foods, it will be tougher to get into fasting. It's true. So I do think it helps to clean up your eating and that will make the fasting states a lot easier because I mean, if you're having like a deep dish pizza, every time you're eating, you know, your glucose and insulin levels are going to drop right after and you're going to invoke like hunger. I mean, you're going to want to eat more. Yeah. When I first started, I was the opposite of eating clean, as you could tell. And over time, I really made the connection between what I ate and feeling of satiety. And even now, if I don't eat healthy foods at this point, then I'm like, find myself, you know, rummaging around the kitchen wanting a snack later. So I have found that it does make a great deal of difference. What do I, what I eat? So what do you eat? Tell us about what foods work well for you or what you recommend to clients to start with. Well, I will say I tend to have for lunch to break my fast. A lot of times I'll have a big salad and I never used to be a salad eater. I always thought that they could, that really couldn't fill me up, but it definitely fills me up. I'll make a big salad. I'll usually have like a veggie burger, a good veggie burger on top of that. And then I'll put just a bunch of different vegetables and like maybe mushroom, asparagus, broccoli, avocado, walnuts. I try to put some healthy fats in there like avocado and walnuts. And that, that's another thing is obviously having some fats during your feasting times will help you stay full longer as well. So I usually have a big salad for for lunch and then dinners are up in the air sometimes, you know, it could be like an omelet. But I will say I, I, I do, I did get a, a pressure cooker, like an instant pot. And so I'll make like soups and like things like that and, and use that for my dinners because that'll last like a week. Oh, yeah. I love soups. I don't know why I thought making soups was hard. That's like the easiest thing in the world. We had soup last night and I was just talking to my 19 year old about it and I'm like, I thought soup was hard. You just put everything together and it's always good. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No, I said it is tough, I guess, to screw up a soup, but you could, but. I guess you could if you put in stuff that you didn't like (laughs) to eat, but really you just throw a bunch of stuff in there. And I have not gotten an instant pot. So people rave about them. Yeah, I would recommend, especially if you're feeding a a family of 
you know, you a family of four, you have two. Well, one is off at oh, college. Okay. The other one went to college for a year and a quarter, and he is now back at home. Okay. Oh. <laughs> for a while. he's taking a college break. So the 19 year old's home. So we have dinner together. The three of us, my husband and, and the 19 year old and I, have dinner together every night. Yes. But yet, then then they both, you know, will want to eat lunch. I don't eat lunch, but right. You know, sometimes we'll have leftovers for them. Like they're going to have soup for lunch today. Leftover from yesterday. Okay. Yeah, no, I would recommend. Actually, the woman that recommended the fasting also recommended the Instant Pot. So she's a big fan of it. And she has like probably tell you even more recipes. But I mean, like I just made like a split pea soup and, and it can last for the week. So it's easy. It cooks it fast. It keeps the nutrients in. So yeah, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, I think that's great because you want your soup to have that I simmered it all day kind of flavor, but you don't have to do it because it. how long does it take in the Instant Pot? You know, it depends on the recipe, but yeah, anywhere from take 15 minutes once you get all the ingredients, you know, and then up to like probably 45 minutes in that range is what I've seen for, All right, but it cooks it pretty, pretty fast and yeah. Now I noticed when you were describing what you ate, you talked about the salad and the veggie burger. Are you a vegetarian? I would say I'm a pescatarian. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So. Have you always been or have you gravitated towards that with intermittent fasting? Actually, I started doing that before I started fasting. So I, I got into that probably over 10 years ago. So yeah, no, I mean, I cut meat out and partially just, I've actually watched a few documentaries on, uh, on how they process meat and it just didn't really sit right with me. And this was probably... 10 years ago. And I was like, okay, I could probably, and I just cut it out. I haven't really missed it. So I just kept it out. That's what happened with my, my son's girlfriend, the one that's from Chicago. She was a meat eater. And then it was working with raw meat and cooking meat just turned her off completely. And she went vegetarian and just never looked back. And she just feels great without the meat. I eat less meat. I'm not a vegetarian. I do well with with some meats, but I feel better when I don't eat a ton of meat. Right. So yeah, I was just curious because you described all these very veggie centric and the, <laughs> yes. the veggie burger and the omelet. So I was like, aha. Yeah. <laughs> but I love that you don't seem to have, you know, like a fear of carbs that we see so often these days. Yeah. I mean, I just think eating the right carbs is just right. the most important thing. And, it, and it's a simple things of just like, I just avoid the breads, the pastas and things like that. But yeah. And, you know, we find that all, all carb, carbs is such an umbrella word. Right. You know, people are like, carbs are why we're fat. And really, carbs can be, mean so many different things. You know, it's not just a Dorito. <laughs> you know, we think of processed foods only, but there's a lot of really good high quality carbs out there to feed ourselves with. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't like neglect myself. I think that's the one thing that fasting is like the, that I like about it is like I, I and any of my clients that I work with, you know, it's not about neglecting yourself. You want to eat till you're satisfied because this is not like a calorie restricted or like counting calories and stuff like that. Eat till you're satisfied. And I think the more you do fasting, you have a true feel of when you're actually, when you are satisfied from a meal as opposed to if you're just eating all day. Right. I love that you actually tell your, your clients not to count calories because so many people still are in that mindset of, you know, got to count the calories, you know, make sure you're eating X number of calories. Right. Can you explain a little bit about why you haven't found that to be effective? Yeah. For one, I just don't, don't think it's anytime I look at something like as far as like diet is concerned, like, is it sustainable for a long period of time? And I don't know. I just found that like, counting anything 
isn't sustainable over a long period of time. And it can be difficult to sort of to figure out like how many calories you're actually consuming. I mean, some people are really good at it. I was never good at it. So I never really went down that road. <laughs> you know, that's true. I was not good at it either because it's just so difficult. Even, you know, like one medium avocado. Well, is the one in my hand medium? Right, right. How do you know? <laughs> exactly. I, I was more so from the camp of like, okay, how, how, do these, how do these foods impact like your insulin levels and your blood sugar levels? To me, that just made more sense. And so like we, I talked earlier like about glycemic index and glycemic load, and that's, you know, obviously – not obviously, but just how carbs impact your blood sugar. I think that's an important thing to just understand when you're fueling yourself. Yeah, I love that. Two things that you said really stuck out to me. First of all, the question, is it sustainable? And that really is key because you're right. You know, counting something really isn't something you want to do every single day for the rest of your life. And, oh, I still have, you know, 30 calories left. What could I eat? You know, you don't want to get into that mindset. And it also made me think back to the times that I did try programs and plans where I was counting, especially counting calories. It led me to more processed foods just because those were so easy to count because the calorie count is printed right on them. Right. So whenever I would get into a calorie counting mindset, I think I naturally ate a lot of, you know, frozen diet meals and things in cans and boxes because it was so easy to quantify because it was right there on the box. Right. And the real food, I was like, well, I don't know what's in that. So I would just skip it. In reality, I should have just gone straight to the real food and not have been better off. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you can avoid buying things in boxes, you're, that's a good rule of thumb, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so too. And anything that has a calorie count on it is probably right. <laughs> less likely what you want. You're right. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, the coldest case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. I want to ask you a question about men versus women. I assume you work with men and women in your practice. Mm -hmm. Do you approach intermittent fasting any differently with women and men? Have you found any differences between the, the genders? People like to think that, you know, women are, you know, special snowflakes. And we are. We're special and we're, <laughs> we're awesome. But people worry that women shouldn't fast or must do it differently. So I just wanted to hear from your experience. Yeah. So 
I would say that I've had good experience with women in fasting, but there's always a handful sometimes you'll run into where it might not work great for that individual. So I would say that it's a case by case basis. You know, there are women who, who do, it might play uh, a bad role as far as like metabolic, like disruption or like losing menstrual periods. Hormonal problems. Yeah, hormonal problems, yeah. like early onset menopause, things like that has happened. So that's something just to keep an eye on with women clients. But for the most part, it, I've had a very positive experience uh, working with women through fasting. So you pretty much approach men and women the same way, unless the women seem to have hormonal issues that crop up. Right. Yeah. I mean, if they, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, and, and usually they'll tell with, from their body, perhaps it'll be like, you know, they have hair loss or low daytime energy or menstrual irritability, you know, or irregularity. So. And I do want to say a couple things about that. Again, it goes back to what you said before about the best study is really yourself. But with hair loss, I had some issue with hair loss when I was trying keto. This is before I really got into the good intermittent fat. This is 2014. I experimented with keto and started having a lot of hair loss. And so I read about it at the time. And when our bodies perceive something as a stress, and it could be a, a you know a, a change in our diet, right. it can trigger a hair loss process because our body perceived it as stress. And once that happens, you have to look back, I don't know, six to eight weeks, or, um, that's just a rule of thumb, it, it, you know, somewhere around there, and see what changed at that point. That's what your body perceived as the stress, and you're going to have to wait it out. So a lot of people think that, you know, it, it, what you're doing right that minute caused the hair loss, but it's really, you have to look back. And for me, it was terrifying because my hair did, I lost a lot of hair. And the good news is once the hair fall process starts, it will stop. <laughs> and the bad news, though, is you have to let it run its course. Yes. And as much as I love intermittent fasting, it is true that when you start, if you've been doing something else beforehand, you could have a period of, par of hair loss because your body perceives this as a change or a stress on the body. And either, even though intermittent fasting is a good stress for the most part, it can cross over, you know, briefly into feeling like a negative stress to your body, especially if you overdo it. Right. And especially for women that probably some of the ones you've seen that may have had these issues, were they also training pretty hard, some of them? Yeah. Yeah. They were training. I mean, not like crazy hard, you know, maybe three days a week. But yeah, like you said, anytime you make a change like this, I don't think it's your body's, you know, some people get headaches, you know, things like that. Right. And they think like, the world's coming to an end, but they have to sort of sometimes just like be patient with it because, you know, your body is going through a change and it, it can be a good change, but it just, in the beginning, it might be, you might have headaches or and hunger pains and things like that, that you sort of got to work through. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Cause it's, you're not going to start day one and just feel like, amazing. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. you're going to have to push through a little hangry perhaps. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Do you drink um, sparkling water at all? Are you a sparkling water aficionado? Not a huge sparkling water. I, I have had it before, but I I tend to gravitate more if I'm going to have something. It'll be just like a tea or a coffee or yeah, yeah. I love the sparkling, and I just I love sparkling anything, whether it's sparkling water during my fast or prosecco <laughs> during my eating window. Okay. I like the bubbles. Yes. Yeah. It really it helped. The reason I mentioned it is because the bubbles seem to help me with hunger. If I'm having like a hunger pang, whatever, mm -hmm. I'll drink a little sparkling water and, and then I'm better. Right. And I would just say, yeah, like sparkling water does help. It almost feels like makes like you feel like you're full, sort of the carbonated water. 
But also I would say like a big thing for me is in anyone that's getting into fasting is find days that you're busy to days to start experimenting with intermittent fasting. Cause I, I believe that that really helps. It helps me, you know, the days that you don't have a lot going on, it'll be a little bit more difficult because your mind will want to wander to food. <laughs> yeah. I, that, that's even true for me sometimes now, yeah. just because not because, you know, I need to eat whatever, but eating is entertaining, right? right? And it's enjoyable and we like to do it. And so if we don't have anything going on, we're not like, hmm, I know that we've got this such and such in the kitchen. And I'd like to eat that. That was, <laughs> I would enjoy eating that. <laughs> and even now I'm like, no, I'm not going to eat it now because I ask myself, will I be glad that I ate this an hour from now? Exactly. Right. And usually if it's early in the day, the answer is no, I will not <laughs> be glad in an hour. I'll be like, why did I? Because I'll be feeling lethargic and blah and right. wish I'd waited. My husband actually got up and had breakfast one day. I, I guess it was Saturday over the weekend at nine. I don't know what he was doing. He's he's relaying like a brick. He's like digging up bricks and fixing a brick patio in our front yard. Okay. And so he's working hard. He's like, I'm going to eat this, whatever it was. I think it was that egg sandwich. And he came in that afternoon. He's like, why did you let me eat that at night? Right. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm sorry. You're in charge of yourself. I know. Yeah. You know, once you get into the routine of having like your windows at certain times and stuff, and, and then you sort of like go against that. Yeah. I mean, it, your body's like, what, what's going on? And it just doesn't feel as good as you think it's going to. And then, you know, I'm not going to say that means I'll never open my window early again right. because I will. But you have to just know the trade-off is going to be you might need a nap. <laughs> you might not feel your normal, <laughs> clear self. Right. And honestly, I feel my most energy. Like I've done some longer fasts, not like, you know, like you do 24 per se. Like I'll do that. And, and I actually feel my most energy at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's just, it's crazy. But people are like, really? You know, but yeah. It's true. Even now, if I start, you know, feeling like a little bit of like, gosh, I would like to eat right now. Maybe it's early in the day and I'm start thinking about food. I like to think, that maybe that's my body transitioning to, you know, peak fat burning. And if you just delay it 30 minutes to an hour, not only is that feeling gone, but then you're really getting into the fat burning state. That's that's what I find right. for me. And then it's just easy to just keep fasting until it's time to have eat. Have you done any longer ones? You know, I, I have not done any longer fasts. When I just read the obesity code, you know, I was so excited about it because I had lost all of my weight, gotten to goal. I talk about this in Delay, Don't Deny. I'd actually regained about eight pounds, but I was not fasting clean. I was still using stevia during the fast and fasting was still something that felt hard to me. Then I read the obesity code and had a lot of aha moments, gave up the stevia. But in the back of the obesity code, he recommends an alternate day fasting protocol. So I was like, well, this is the one that he's got in there. I'm going to do this because that's the one he recommends. So I, I did it for a while. And so I was doing maybe 42-hour fasts, you know, three times. I was really doing more of a 4-3 kind of a, a format. And so three days a week, I, I fasted on Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. And I do, would do a complete fast on those days. And then the other days, I would allow myself to eat whenever I wanted to, but I wasn't generally getting up and eating breakfast. So, you know, maybe it would be 46, or, you know, 42, something like that, 38. It, it varied. Over time, I started dreading the fasting days. It felt like too much fasting. And then I also started to dread the eating days because it felt like too much eating. Mm. And that was when I, I just jumped right back into a, um, a daily eating window approach, and I haven't looked back since. So I have not gone since 2016, probably April or May of 2016, and we're now in 2019. I haven't done a fast 
overnight since then. So the longest fast I've done probably is just if I've been busy and ate dinner late. Now, I will say back in, in my early, early, early days, probably 2015, I was in some pretty extreme weight loss groups on Facebook where people were trying all sorts of, of extreme measures. And I did decide at one point, and, and nobody, please do this, but please do not. But I was like, I'm just going to fast until I lose whatever. I'm. So I started mm-hmm. fasting and I was not fasting clean and I was you know, having the stevia. I think I made it 84 hours until my body was like, stop doing this. Right. And, you know, I was like, all right, I'm glad I listened. You know, whenever I tried to do the extreme things, in the past, it didn't feel good. And I I don't know, luckily, I'm not the kind of person that would force myself to keep doing something when it felt wrong. Mm -hmm. That's a good thing. But then, you know, there were people who did and they would like lose all this weight. And I also felt like, why can't I do that? But really, it was a blessing Mm -hmm. that I was able to listen to my body. So I think 84 is the longest that I did. Again, I wouldn't recommend longer fasts to anyone at this point, unless you're under medical supervision, because really things can go wrong. And like you said, you just got to listen to your body. Thank goodness I I did that. Because when I was trying these extreme things before I knew any better, I just wanted to lose the weight. You know, so many people are like me. We just want to lose the weight. And we're willing to try extreme measures to get there. But luckily, I was in tune enough to say this doesn't feel good and and to stop myself before I did any long-term damage. Right. So there's my cautionary tale. Don't be like that. Well, be like that. Stop when it feels bad. (laughs) But don't try the extreme things because we know that those extreme things don't have good long-term results. And like you said before, is it sustainable? No, those plans are not. And when you try those, those extreme things, the weight comes back with some friends. Right. Can it be a lifestyle change? Like, is it something that you can do for a long period of time? And yeah. And so those are good questions to ask. Exactly. And if you find yourself feeling worse and worse day after day, that's a bad sign. Now, I'm not, of course, talking about the adjustment period to fasting. Right. You know, you're going to have, think about it as, you know, a slump that you have to get through to the other side, you'll, you'll start feeling better. But if you've been doing something, you know, for weeks and you're just feeling worse and worse and worse, that's a sign that it's not working well for you. Right. Yeah, I think that's important. So you talked about how you didn't really need to lose a lot of weight because mm-hmm. um, you were already in really good shape. Have you had any other positive health changes with intermittent fasting or you just were were in pretty good health already? No, I I would say the biggest thing for me was more of like a mental acuity, like clear thinking. And not that I had like, I was like not like a big in like mood swings and things like this, but that was a big one was just the clear thinking, increased in energy. Also like just like, and this is just a good one that I see with a lot of clients, just rest for like like your digestive system, actually like regularity of going to the bathroom, which is important. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, so I know people don't talk about that a lot, but that's really important. <laughs> it is. It's important. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I had some body fat loss, but I think the biggest thing for me was just like, just how I felt, how I was, I was just like in control of like my food and hunger and things like that were the biggest things. And then just like sharing it with other people doing it myself, being able to share it with other people on platforms like this and, you know, like with my journal and stuff like that. Like it just, that's really probably been the biggest blessing with, with intermittent fasting. It's just help, helping other people see that there's, there's, there's other ways to do things. Yeah, I think so too. And whenever you hear from someone who has adopted an intermittent fasting lifestyle and it's changed their life, right. 
it just, it feels amazing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a lot of people have done so many different diets and they've yo-yoed, their weight has yo-yoed and it's like, they, they think that like it's their fault, but a lot of times it's just those diets that don't work and they just need a program and a system where it's sustainable and you know, I mean, you know, fasting has been going on for thousands of years. So <laughs> it's, it's way yeah. beyond any, it's not right. New. It's, this is, this is old. <laughs> it's like, all everything comes full circle, but fasting has definitely come full circle. That is funny because we see articles now that, that intermittent fasting really is going mainstream. We see articles like intermittent fasting, new weight loss fad. Right. right. <laughs> We're like, well, you know, it's not exactly new. <laughs> right. I have a question for you as far as weight loss and your clients. If you have someone who's on a plateau or, or feels like they're not meeting their weight loss goals, what do you have them tweak? Because this is something we hear a lot. People you know, may plateau or they're not seeing the weight loss they think they should see. They want to know what to tweak. What would you tell them? So I would say the two things to tweak is when they're fasting windows, right? They can tweak their fasting windows and then they can also t- maybe tweak a little bit about what they're eating. I would say those two things are like the ones that you sort of can adjust as you go. So I would say, you know, if you're finding that they're eating things that perhaps are raising their insulin or blood sugar levels or are high glycemic, that'll be the first place to start. And then perhaps maybe tweaking their fasting window and adjusting it if they've plateaued in their weight. Yeah, I think that's great advice. That's that's the same place I would tell people to start as well yeah. with both of those. And just keep keep trying because my sweet spot may not be your sweet spot. Sometimes people end up with a window that's actually too short and then they find themselves like, like the window is so short that it overstresses their bodies or they find themselves wanting to binge within that really short window. Like the body's like sending panic signals. Okay. And so sometimes the adjustment is make your window a little longer. Yeah. Yeah. Believe it or not, we've seen that, that to happen. But yeah, anybody who's feeling this, the urge after you've been doing it for a while, if the, the urge to binge is getting worse and worse. That that's a sign. Possibly tweak it a little longer. Right, make it a little longer. Maybe you're not eating enough. You know. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, our bodies send us those signals. You know. The again, at first, it's normal for people to overeat when they start intermittent fasting. But if you've been doing it for a month and the urge to overeat is getting worse and worse, you know that that's a sign to hmm, tweak a little something. There. Yes, I agree. We are almost out of time, which I can't believe. This always goes so quickly. <laughs> As, as your, your parting, parting words here, and I know you do this all the time since you're introducing your clients to intermittent fasting, what is your best advice for someone just starting out or what is something you wish you knew when you started? Well, I would say the best advice would be just to start slow, like take one thing at a time. And that one thing at a time could be just like stop eating at eight o'clock. And then after that, that ne- the next thing to do is let's push back breakfast an hour. So I would just say take small steps it doesn't have to be done in one day or a week or even a month. Like when I first started, I just took those small steps until I felt like my body just felt adjusted. And, uh, and then before you know it, I was just, it, it just became sort of a lifestyle change. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good way to start it. One other thing before we yeah. go, how can people in Chicago find you? You know, I know we've got people in Chicago sure. they may be looking <laughs> for a, a health coach and a trainer. How could, how could they connect with you? My website is Brian Grin. That's B-R-I-A-N and then G-R-Y-N dot com. And uh, yeah, they can reach out through my website on there. I have I do have a journal that I created that sort of once I got into fasting, I helped other people and I take them through sort of a 21-day journal. So yeah, but my website would be the best way to, to reach out and um, 
for help. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking to you and getting your perspective on intermittent fasting. Yeah, thanks so much, Jen. Really enjoyed it. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast.